Right. So the failure loop is exactly what you said. It's a way to reframe our traditional sense of failure and transform it into progress. So in the book, I have a little diagram. So it's a series of individual loops that are connected and the chain of loops goes up and to the right. And up and to the right is the direction of progress. And so as we go through our lives and decisions, we're going to have things that don't work the way we want. And that's a quote-unquote failure event. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have a phenomenal guest. We have Emily Sander. Emily, tell us who are you and what's your mission? Well, thank you for having me, Priscilla. I came from the business world. So I've worked 15 plus years in corporate America, and those were predominantly leading or managing client-facing teams. And I worked my way up to executive leadership and most recently served as chief of staff. So serving our CEO and making sure all of the members of the executive leadership team were aligned on business priorities, et cetera. And several years ago, I was reflecting on the previous jobs I had and said, what were the favorite things of those jobs? What really resonated with me or things that I remembered? And it was the one-on-one interactions that I would have with people and helping them get to their next level. So whatever that was for them, if that was an actual promotion and career advancement, if it was helping them get to their next level of confidence or speaking up at a team meeting, that's what I found rewarding and fulfilling. And so once I found out that coaching was a thing, and oh my goodness, I was coaching before I knew what a coach was, then I decided to go get certified as a coach and started my own coaching practice, and that's what I do today. Coming from corporate to now, As a coach, running yourself as a business, what have been your three biggest lessons? My three guiding principles, so to speak. The first one is integrity. So I've seen a lot of people do business in a lot of different ways. And some people cut corners and maybe do what's the minimum I can do to get away with this or the minimum I can do to meet this requirement. And some people are very much, I want to be above board. I want to do what's right because it's right. And sometimes the former group, the one who cuts corners, might get ahead for a period of time. So it might look like, hey, they're not doing things with the best intentions and it's working for them. But what I found is the second group, the one that acts with integrity, will always catch up in the long run and will always make a bigger and better difference in the long run. And for me, I was raised with do things the right way. You treat people with respect. You conduct business in the proper way. And that's just in my DNA. So I feel better doing that. So that's number one, integrity. Number two is servant leadership, which I hope we get to talk more about. As leaders, we have great power. And with that comes great responsibility. And I think there's a really big difference between a leader who wakes up and says, what's in it for me today? And how can I make myself look good? And how can I get myself ahead? Versus a leader who wakes up and says, how can I serve my team today? How can I make their lives a little bit easier? And people can feel that difference. That's the second one. And the third one I would say is have fun. So we talk about serious things and maybe we're making serious decisions, but there is a time and place for adding some lightness and levity to the situation or having those fun moments with team members. And that's kind of the glue that holds the team together in a lot of scenarios. So those would be my three. The wall behind you says greatness, legacy, vision. What am I looking at? Yeah, so those are the elements of success and they're in the format of the periodic table of elements. So I thought that was a cool way to do it. But yeah, greatness, hustle, legacy, vision, those type things are just a good reminder to all of us about the ingredients that go into success. 
Oh, I love this. This is going to be a great conversation. Now, you have a fantastic book that's arts, Hacking Executive Leadership. I love it. And I'll tell you why I really, really liked it. Because I feel like as entrepreneurs, sometimes we do this click thing where we stick with other entrepreneurs. And then it's like mm -hmm. we have people who are in corporates and the executives in their own little, you know, circle there. And yet we're in the market together. It's great that I'm talking to an entrepreneur who's been an executive corporate environment. So please tell us what's the premise of this book? Yeah. So hacking executive leadership, I actually wrote that during COVID lockdown and a book was a one day thing. One day I'll get to that. I think I have a book in me, but the book is really a combination of the lessons and takeaways that I've learned in the 15 years in the corporate world, combined with the lessons I've learned from coaching different business professionals and different business leaders from all around the world. So it's distilled down into a pretty quick read. I know people are busy and I'm pretty to the point and try to give people frameworks that they can go apply in multiple different scenarios. And I found that to be most helpful. So over my years in business and in coaching, recurring themes kept coming up over and over again, where this seems to help people. And this seems to be, oh, aha, once I have that and I understand how that works, I can apply it to my situation with myself or my team and it helps me get further. So that's what the book is. What is the swizzle concept? <laughs> I don't even know what swizzle means. You've never heard it before because that's the word I made up. And I was stressed and tired one time and I was trying to tell my team to do something. And I said, guys, let's just swizzle the three decks we have into a new one. What I meant by that was let's take the relevant slides and content from three previous PowerPoint presentations we had done into what we needed for a new one. So take the best of each reformat, reorder them, have it make sense, but then have this new slide deck. So that's how it came about. But the principle is ways to be creatively resourceful. And the example I always give is I was listening to a podcast with Floyd Mayweather, and he is a champion boxer. I don't know anything about boxing, but they were talking to him about what makes him the best. Is it his training or his diet? You're known for your quick footwork and hands and all this. And he finally said, it's none of that. It's my adaptability and it's my ability to adapt to an opponent, to each round, to each punch. And I do that the best. And that's what makes me the champion. And me listening to that, I had, oh, aha, light bulb. I'm not a boxer, but I can apply that principle and lift it and shift it, so to speak, into my world, which is business. And it has so many applications there. So am I adapting to the market? Am I adapting to customers? Am I adapting to my internal team meetings that I have this week versus next week? To call to look in different areas of your life and say, is there something that I can pull from this area and apply it in that that will make sense and help me get further and just be open to all these different data points and all these different lessons I can learn from and pull in my spheres of influence and spheres of life. I like Floyd with me too. So I don't know anything about boxing, but I do like to listen to just the mindset behind what people who've reached these high levels, how they think. For the person who says, oh, I like order and I like to have a routine and I don't like to have to switch that up. It puts me off my game when I have to switch things up. As a coach, what would you say to that person? If you knew me 10, 15 years ago, that was me. So I was very plan oriented. I like having a plan. I like knowing what's going to happen when and how things are going to work. Of course, anyone who's lived past 20, 25 years of age knows that life is full of change. So that quote, the only constant is change itself. And I work with people on becoming more comfortable with, hey, things 
are going to happen that you don't expect as a leader developing that skill of adaptability and leading yourself well through change. So therefore you can lead your team well through change is something positive to go after. And so one of the big mindset shifts that I work on is most people. So most people listening today, when they think of change, they automatically slap a negative label. Change is bad. Oh, if something changed unexpectedly, I don't like that. That's bad. And we can go into the whole psychology of it, but human brains don't like change. We're just wired not to like that. So you need to catch yourself and be self-aware and say, oh, I'm having that reaction. Instead of saying, I'm going to slap a negative label on that, say change is neutral. Change in and of itself is a neutral event. And so at least bring yourself to neutral and be open to the different possibilities. So whenever something shifts or moves around on you, there might be negative things that happen, but there also inevitably will be doors that open or opportunities that present themselves because of that. And you might not see that yet or might see that initially, but just being open to that possibility will help you look for them. And if you're actively looking for them, then you'll find them more easily. So that would be the first thing I would say. Change is neutral. I'm going to remember Mm -hmm. that one. (laughs) What is the failure loop? I think this is so important for new entrepreneurs where you're trying out new things and a lot of things that you're going to try, they're not going to work. And you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, this is hitting up against failure time and time again. Right. So the failure loop is exactly what you said. It's a way to reframe our traditional sense of failure and transform it into progress. So in the book, I have a little diagram. So it's a series of individual loops that are connected and the chain of loops goes up into the right. And up into the right is the direction of progress. And so as we go through our lives and decisions, we're going to have things that don't work the way we want. And that's a quote unquote failure event. So, oh, I made a presentation and it didn't go well. Or, oh, I made a decision and that didn't go the way I wanted. Now I'm embarrassed in front of family, friends, and colleagues. And that failure event is the part of an individual loop that goes back down into the left. So if you have a loop, there is a section that goes back down into the left, which is the opposite direction of progress. A lot of people stop there. A lot of people stop there and figuratively sit on the floor and declare themselves a failure. And instead, if you are in that moment and you know where you are in the process, and you take the lesson and learning out of that experience, and you apply it going forward, you've just propelled yourself back up the chain of loops, and you've propelled yourself back in the direction of progress. And so for anyone, but especially entrepreneurs who are moving fast, who are having to make decisions with limited information, who are having to step out of their comfort zone and try new things, you are inevitably going to quote unquote fail. And you need to say, that's actually not failure, I'm going to take the lessons from that and apply it so I don't make the same mistake over and over and over again. I'm going to learn from it, but that's actually a mark of success. And that's something that I love working with clients on is taking them from when I experience that or when I feel that moment, it's not a bad thing. It actually is a good thing. And it means, hey, I'm pushing myself and I'm on my growth edge and I know where I am in the process. So I almost look forward to it because that means I'm moving in the right direction. And instead of being a mark of failure, it's a mark of success. I love the way that you explained those single chains of failure and how to move yourself forward. What has been for you the biggest business failure 
and how did you propel yourself forward? What comes to mind is the decision to actually go into my coaching practice full time. I was working full time in a quote unquote real job for a while and then doing my business practice on the side. And that made sense for a while, but there was a lot of internal discussions with myself and external discussions with other people about when to make that leap and put all the chips in, so to speak, and go full time. I probably should have done it sooner. There was arguments for that and against that, but just being able to have the confidence and have the faith and to kind of set yourself up well so you feel Feel like, yes, I can take this leap. It's always going to be a risk, but such is life and life is short. And so being able to push myself a little bit further, a little bit harder, and probably a little bit sooner into doing that because it's been so rewarding, so fulfilling. And that's probably something where, oh, okay, going forward, I know if it feels right and you've done all the checks and balances, don't delay that just because you want to be prudent or even more thoughtful or overthink something, just do it. Great lesson there. What is the three circles framework. Three circles is a way to help you with decision making. And there's multiple ways it can happen. But three circles are a math equation, but a simple one. Circle one plus circle two equals circle three. And so how it works is an external event will land in circle one. So it might be in business, it might be a team meeting that you're leading. And oh my goodness, Jane over here decides to have an angry outburst and start shouting and derailing the meeting. So that is the external event that's in circle one. And so you actually go, okay, this is happening. What do I want to have as my ideal outcome? And that's actually circle three. So you skip circle two real quick and say, what do I want to have happen? And that's an important step because often we skip that and we react in a knee jerk way. And defining what you actually want to have happen in this scenario is important. And then once you define that, let's say it's, hey, I want to acknowledge what Jane is saying, but also calm people down and get this meeting back on track and focused on the original agenda. That's circle three. Then you can reverse engineer or take a quick step back into circle two. And that's where you come into play. That's where what do I need to say or not say? What do I need to do or not do? to give myself the highest likelihood to get to circle three. And so it might be saying, hey, Jane, I hear that you're very upset and you're frustrated. I care a lot about budget allocation to that project as well. That is on the agenda. We need to talk about that as a group to figure out the best way to distribute the funds, but we will certainly get to that. That's circle one, circle two, and circle three. A lot of people have an emotional reaction to circle two, or they say, well, hey, Emily, in that situation, I'd feel like yelling back at Jane. I'd feel like giving her a piece of my mind and saying, hey, we've talked about this 12 different freaking times. You can't blow up in a meeting. But defining that ideal outcome, which is calming people down and being professional and getting people back on track, leads you to the actions you take in circle two. That's a brief example, but there's multiple applications. You can also use three circles. If, for instance, you were going into a team meeting and you said, okay, let me be intentional about what I want to do with this team meeting. You could do a three circles exercise there. You could also do it with a long-term project. So, hey, I have a long-term goal. Maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's 18 months. And let me define my ideal end state in circle three. And then I'll have to define my circle two, which might be a whole bunch of milestones in between. So that's three circles in a nutshell. Oh, amazing. I think your book, Hacking Executive Leadership, just listening to those three things, I think it's definitely worth a read. That's pretty phenomenal. So for you, what would you say has been the skill that has had the biggest impact in terms of just 
return on how you run your business? I think it's around decision making and it's finding the balance between how you make decisions. So what I mean by that is some people, if you think of a spectrum, some people are very emotional decision makers, knee jerk reaction and probably need to take a little bit more time. On the other end of the spectrum, it's I want to think about something, I want to think about it some more, I want to do a spreadsheet on the pros and cons, I want to color code the spreadsheet, and they probably need to move a little bit faster. And so me getting to know my decision making style and what makes me comfortable, and then saying, okay, I'm self aware enough to know that, but what does this situation call for? And it might call for something else. I've really focused on that and try to discipline myself to that because I'm towards the overthinking and I don't move quickly enough. So in business, there are times when you don't have time to think and you just have to make a decision and make a call. And certainly in my own practice, it's I'm my own boss, so I can take as long as I want, but that might not be the best answer to this situation. So it's Emily, try this thing, fail forward, fail fast. And then if it doesn't work, like we talked about before, use the failure loop to learn from it and move forward. Decision making is a key one and knowing your default decision making approach and then also what the situation calls for is big. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I'm a lot like you. I tend to like to analyze and analyze some more and then be sure how did you kind of move yourself across a little bit and how would the person on the other end move themselves a little bit the other way? Yeah, as with anything, the first step is awareness. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't really know my decision-making style, take inventory of that and say, okay, let me think about the last couple decisions I make or pretend you have a decision coming up and see how you respond to that. And then sometimes your default decision-making process could be the right one. So I'm not saying whatever you're doing is automatically wrong. Sometimes it's appropriate, but there's often times where you have to shift it around. So for me, I know that, hey, if I feel a little bit uncomfortable and I feel like I'm pushing things too quickly, that actually could be okay. That actually could be a good thing and the right thing to do and be able to say, I feel a little bit uneasy about this, but it's moving in the right direction. If you're on the other side of the spectrum, it might say, hey, I almost always make a decision too quickly. I don't think it through and then I regret it or it's not the best decision I could make. And so let me, again, be aware of that as a first step, but two, maybe put some checks and balances in, okay, when I have that feeling, I need to go walk around the block and think about the pros and cons. I need to go call a trusted advisor or a friend and have a brainstorm or sounding board session with them to get information I'm not thinking about. So awareness is the first step and then being comfortable with being uncomfortable, and then putting some checks and balances that are appropriate for you into place. I remember I reached out to you because of your experience in customer-facing business. I wanted you to kind of speak to how entrepreneurs can improve their relationship with customers. Customer service, that's a large topic, but the few things I'd say on that, one, answer their questions. So that's more so in the sales or prospecting stage. There's different schools of thought here, but to me, the company or a person that can best answer someone's question is seen as the most helpful and then is seen as the expert in that field. So, and that could not be the case. Someone might have more information than you or have more experience, but if on your website or if when you're talking on podcasts or anything where you're interacting with 
a prospective customer, if you're giving information and giving value, that draws them in. So when I say different schools of thought, I've heard all across the board on how you should present your website. And some people are very you know, let me hold information close to the chest and let me have them book a call with me and then I'll tell them all the information they want. My train of thought is almost the opposite, which is give them the information that they are wanting right away and you'll be perceived as more knowledgeable and more helpful and more valuable to them. And there's this great book called They Ask, You Answer. And it talks all about this company that took that approach and did organic SEO in that way and just grew their company within their industry as the top company for that, just because they collected questions and they answered them for people. And so they get them for free. There's some great tips on make sure your product team and your marketing team is plugged into your sales team and your customer facing folks, so account managers or customer service reps, because those are the people, those external facing people who are literally getting the questions from customers directly each and every day. So collect those and then get those out in your product marketing. That's one thing I would say. And two, there's the normal things of build a true relationship with your customers. Don't think of it as a transaction. Don't think of it as a transactional relationship. Think of it as I'm going to build this relationship over time. That can land in a bunch of different ways depending on your exact business and what products and service you have. But that general overall mindset, I think, goes a long way. And people, customers can feel that when leadership and therefore their company has a just get the money in, just get the top line revenue, transact these people and then be done with them versus, hey, I want to build a relationship with our customer. And like any other relationship that involves things like trust and communication and doing what's best for these people and being a good partner in business and all of those things. So I would take those elements to heart as well. How do you manage work stress and boost your performance at the same time? Because I think a lot of times work stress can actually take away from the performance. That is a great question. Yeah, a lot of people burn the candle at both ends. They say, I must work harder and more hours. And to me, taking care of yourself, that's physically and mentally, is imperative for a leader because they are putting themselves in best position to lead and then they are serving others better. So a lot of people have it in their mind, I have to work harder, I have to work longer, I have to work more and do more to help people around me. And it's almost the exact opposite. I have to take care of myself, which is not selfish. It's not selfish because then when I take care of myself and get myself in good position to lead, I am making better decisions. I am having higher quality interactions with people. It just exudes out of you in all these different ways. Stress is part of the business. And so there's going to be times when you don't get as much sleep as you would have liked, or you just have a lot on your plate and you have to deal with that. Again, first step is awareness. So know where you are. Oh, I haven't slept well for the last few days. Oh, I have a lot on my plate. And so therefore, I might need to take some extra time with my decisions, or I might need to catch myself before I snap at someone or uh, throw out a zinger in a team meeting. Really having that mindset and overall approach of, I need to take care of myself in order to serve my team is a big one. And then there's lots of little tactical and practical things that if you want me to get into, we can like, you know, delegating is a good thing to invest in. And automation is something to look towards for streamlining processes and those types of things just to take that 
stress away on doing so many different things. Uh, thank you for that, Emily. Now, I always ask these last two questions. What is the number one book that you would recommend to an early entrepreneur? The number one book would probably be Essentialism by Greg McCowan. And that talks a lot about where you spend your time and where you spend your energy and prioritization. And that's a quick summary of the book, but that's on my top 10 list for books for leaders to read. But Essentialism by Greg McEwen is a big one. And the last question is always, what has faith meant to you on your journey? Yeah, so that comes into play in a lot of ways. One, it's my big why. You know, why do we do what we do? How do we align what we're doing to our overall purpose and meaning? I work with my clients to find their big why. I'll give you mine. So my big why is I believe our job is to put good into the world. And that's a simple way to say it, but I believe our job is to put good into the world and people can do that in a million different ways. I believe that everyone has their unique giftings and talents and areas of strength and what they're meant to be doing. If you can help people get to the top of their potential, the world would just be a better place. If you think about people operating in the vocation that they're meant to be in and they're fulfilling their potential or even getting closer to that, if you think about all the people in the world doing that, the world is just going to be a very different place to live in and to be in. And so coaching is my very small way of doing that. So I think I can serve best in a coaching capacity and I love, love, love helping other people and serving other people to find their area of strength and what they're aligned to and help them get a little bit closer to that in whatever part of their journey or their chapter that they're in. That's a big one. And then also, I think the theme of healing in the modern world, we have doctors in modern medicine who are direct healers, right? They can heal people directly. But I think we can take that and swizzle that concept and say, I can be a healing influence on people. So we've all had the opportunity where, oh, if you're gossiping about so-and-so, let me get in there and let me tell you what I know about that situation, or let me tell you what I saw her doing. But instead, if you say, hey, I want to be a healing person in this conversation, let's either get the conversation on some different subject or just say, hey, you know, I think there's two sides to the story. And I think that, you know, we should be supportive in this way. And so just little things like that, little interactions or little tilts of conversations can have a really big impact on our group of people that we're interacting with and then our larger society and world as well. So those would be the two biggest things I think I, I take away. Oh, I love that. Now to our audience, Emily, what can they look forward to? Yeah, so if you go to nextlevel.coach, nextlevel, all one word, .coach, you'll find free resources on that website. If you're interested in coaching or learning more about me, you can find out all about that and contact me directly. And then I have a blog that's set out weekly and it has a lot of good information about some of the things that we talked about here. Well, thank you, Emily, for your time. And thank you really for your expertise. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do me two massive favors. One, please share it with someone that you know would benefit from this information. And secondly, please leave us a review in your podcast listening app. This will help us grow the show and get bigger and bigger guests that will benefit you even more. Thank you so much for that. And again, thank you for your time. I absolutely value your time. Thank you for spending time with us listening to the Reinventing Perspectives podcast. Thank you and see you again next week.